pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jesus Messiah, name above all names, blessing Redeemer, Emmanuel, the rescue for sin. Messiah, he's the Lord of all. Oh, Jesus, Jesus Messiah, name above all names, blessed Redeemer, Emmanuel, the rescue for sin. Messiah, he's the Lord of all. He became sin. He became sin. Who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness? He humbled himself and carried the cross.
thank you for your amazing grace, your unending love. We thank you that you never fail us and you never forsake us. We thank you that with all the uncertainties and inconsistencies in this life, we have a certainty and a confidence in thee. We know you're the one that never changes. We know that the work you began, you promised to complete. We know that each and every day, regardless of what comes our way, our faith can rest securely in thee and you will keep us and you will guide us and your smile will remain upon us and in that we have a hope in that we have a strength lord jesus we thank you for a great salvation and we thank you for your presence that is with us that walks through life with us each and every day and in that we give you praise and honor and all god's people said Let's give the Lord a clap offering of praise. He's wonderful. He's worthy. We love you, Lord. We love you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We put our trust in thee. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Welcome to the house of the Lord. So good to see you. Children are dismissed to Children's Church. And adults, if you would, turn with me to Ephesians, the sixth chapter. And we will continue our sermon series of the gospel armor, of the gospel armor. Got Ephesians 6. If you're there, say I'm there. No one's there yet. Ephesians 6, all right. Some of y'all got out of habit. Don't bring your Bibles anymore, do you? How technology has worked on us. Some things good, not so much some things. Once we're there, are you there? All right, you're there. Before we read our text, we want to go to the throne of grace one more time. Brother, Brother Rayburn is our district superintendent. That's the head of the Assemblies of God here in Florida. And, and he contacted the churches this week and asked if Wednesday and Sunday we would just join together, all the churches, Assembly of God churches in Florida, to really pray um, against this pandemic and against the virus. And, um, you know, we, we've been pretty blessed overall. Other places have been hit much harder. But everyone's been affected by it, and he just asked that all the churches, so that's pretty powerful to imagine that about this time, all over the state of Florida, our churches is lifting up our voices, asking God to rebuke this thing, take away this thing, to heal those that have been affected by it, to bring people through that are battling it, but above all, that the Lord would intervene and God would help his people. Would you bow your hearts? Father, we ask you right now, that you would intervene in this pandemic situation. Enough is enough. Men try their best, but they're so limited, they're so weak, they're so feeble. But you are the living God, and nothing is too hard for you. Father God, let this thing stop, let this thing cease. Let it disperse in the name of Jesus. And Father, we pray for those that are battling in their bodies right now. Let the healing virtue flow now, right now, Lord. Maybe someone's listening and they need a special touch right now in the name of Jesus. Father, let your healing virtue flow. 
Let those lungs be strengthened. Let the breathing become easy. Let the presence and power of Jesus come upon them. And Lord, we just pray that you would bring us through as a people, that you would help us, that you would answer us, that you would rebuke this terrible virus, and you would strengthen and heal those that are battling in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Now, if you have your Bibles, Ephesians 6, and we want to begin with verse number 10 as we continue our sermon series on the Christian's armor, the armor of God. The Bible says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor, the whole armor of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. God wants you to take your stand against those things. For our struggle or our wrestling, it's not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers and authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the whole armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you will be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, you'll be able to stand. Stand firm then, verse 14, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in its place, with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Now, in addition to all this, above all, take the shield of faith, wherewith you can extinguish or put out all the fiery darts of the wicked one. And this morning, verse 17, take the helmet of salvation. Take the helmet of salvation. The next piece of equipment we want to focus on, the helmet of salvation. The helmet of salvation is of a great importance if you and I are going to fight this good fight of faith and we're going to be victorious in this battle of faith. It's important to have on the helmet of salvation. Number one, we realize that because Satan attempts to um, attack the mind of the believer. The, the, the battlefield of the mind is so important, it's so real. And Satan attempts to attack the mind of the believer. Therefore, Paul says, put on, put on that helmet. That's called salvation. In fact, you know, from the beginning of time, Satan has tried to attack the minds of the people of God. Go way back to the Garden of Eden in the very beginning. And you see how the enemy tried to attack the mind of Eve. He tried to put within our mind a doubting and then a denial then ultimately a disobedience to God that led to the terrible fall and the curse, etc., etc. He tried to get her to doubt that God's word was true and that God's character and compassion was real. He tried to get her to somehow not believe that God's promise could be trusted and his word should be obeyed and that somehow his heart was not sincerely full of love towards his people and we know what happened. Thousands of years later, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, and he says, you know what? He says, I'm concerned, I'm burdened, that in the same way Eve's mind was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your mind might be somehow led astray from your sincere devotion to Christ. So from the beginning all the way until when the New Testament is written, things hadn't changed, and things haven't changed today. There's the battlefield of the mind. And it's greatly important to put on the helmet of salvation because the enemy will attack your mind. He'll try to get you to doubt. He'll try to get you to be discouraged. He'll try to get you to be deceived. And all his various attacks, God says to his people, put on the helmet of salvation. 
The helmet refers to the mind and the thinking that's controlled by God and His Word. Proper Christian thinking, a proper Christian mentality plays a vital role in our growth, in our service, and ultimately in our victory. When God controls the mind, Satan cannot easily just lead the believer astray and play head games with him. A big part of your spiritual growth and maturity is in the retraining or the renewing of our thinking. It's by putting aside the old perspectives and the old reasonings and the old thought patterns and exchanging them with the understanding of God's word and God's will and how God's kingdom works. Whenever Paul ministered, before he was an apostle, he was a teacher. And wherever he went and established churches, he stressed the teaching of the word of God. From each congregation, he would take special time and make sure those young believers were taught and fed the word of God. For he knew that it was the word that would equip them and protect them from the lies and the deceptions of the enemy. He knew that it was the word that would build them up and make them strong, healthy, overcoming believers. And my friend, listen, maturing in your Christian walk is very limited without the study and the learning and the training of the Word of God. When a person gets saved, we must learn to ask ourselves. We must learn how to think and simply, now that I'm a Christian, now that I'm a Christian, how should I think about this? Now that I'm a Christian, what does God's Word say about this? And we retrain that thinking so we can keep on the helmet of salvation and see life through the lens of God's Word. The Christian's mind should be fixed with the simple thought, I am a Christian, I am a child of God, all is well between me and the Almighty. God is my heavenly Father, and He is committed to my care, and I am His son or His daughter, and I am committed to live a life that pleases and honors Him. The blessing of salvation's helmet understanding what it means to be a child of God and being completely confident in the reality of our salvation and what it includes both now and forevermore. The helmet of salvation. Viewing, evaluating, and responding to life through the mind of the saved, through the mind of the redeemed of the Lord. This helmet protects us from the arrows of the evil one but also gives us a confidence and an assurance as we walk forward in spiritual growth and in spiritual battle. Paul writes, put on the helmet of salvation. Peter said to his congregation, he said it like this, prepare your minds for action. There's an enemy out there and we're fighting a battle. Prepare your minds for action. Because the enemy will attack your mind and you can have all the resources and riches of salvation. But if you don't really understand who you are in Christ and you don't really understand how his kingdom works, you will be frustrated and you often fail in your endeavor to serve God. There's much to be said. Um, there is knowledge and power and knowledge in the understanding God said through his prophet. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. For when they don't understand my word and my will and my ways, they're, they're 
they're, they're, um, they're put at a disadvantage and they're easily deceived and discouraged by the evil one. But when we prepare our minds for action and we put on the helmet of salvation and we look through life through the lens of God's word and we see ourselves and we see God and we see this world no longer the way we used to, but now we see it through the eyes of the one that's been redeemed, a son and daughter of the living God. Oh, friends, we'll walk with a greater confidence. We'll live with a greater accuracy. We'll endeavor with a greater victory. The victorious Christian must respond to the call. Put on the helmet. Get ready in your mind. The battle's raging. You can have all the wonderful blessings, but if the enemy is able to toy with your mind, Oh, it's amazing how even believers shoot themselves in the foot. Can you say amen? Let's look at how Peter wrote. 1 Peter 1 and 13. Paul said, put on the helmet. Peter said it like this to his church. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. There's an enemy out there. Prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled and set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. Underline that word hope is towards the end of the message. That's going to be our main thought. But Peter says, prepare your mind for action. Be prepared for battle. He says, get ready. And in this little verse, he says, number one, have a disciplined mind if you're going to be an overcoming Christian. If you're going to prepare your mind for action, have a disciplined mind. Be ready. Put your helmet on. Train your mind to think biblically. Train yourself to look at life and to evaluate situations and to respond to situations, not through the old nature, not through the emotional realm, but through the word of God, the walk by faith and not by sight. Peter says, and have a sober mind. Not only have a disciplined mind, but a sober mind or a self-controlled mind. He says, um, be focused, be focused in your thinking. Be focused in the way you think and plan and reason. Because there's a lot of distractions out there. There's a lot of deceptions out there. There's a whole lot of voices out there. You've got to watch where you get your information. And you've got to watch where you get the abundance of how you think. You've got to watch. Some of y'all will be better off turn that TV off and just get back to the B-I-B-L-E. Oh, that's the book for, I hope it is for you. Have a sober mind. Have a mind that's focused and disciplined to think biblically, to think according to the word of God, to think through the lens of God. And lastly, Peter says, have an optimistic mind. He says, let your thinking be positive, for you have a great and eternal hope in Christ. Let your mind rest on the hope that is coming when Jesus Christ returns. He says, in the light of the great salvation you have, child of God, in the light of the ultimate victory that awaits you that believe, we ought to be a positive people and a confident people and a strong people. Be strong in the Lord by putting on the helmet of salvation. Part of that helmet means I have a hope in Christ. I have a hope that this world is not my home. I have a hope that Jesus is returning. And in the meantime, he's with me every step of the way. Peter writes, prepare your mind for action. If you want to be an overcoming Christian, there's a battlefield in the mind. Put on that helmet. It's important to put on the helmet, number one, because Satan attacks the mind. 
It's important to put on the helmet because God has called us to put on the helmet, to prepare our minds, to think biblically, to have the mind of Christ as we walk through this world. But now let's go from the importance of the helmet to the present reality that the helmet talks about. When I say about the helmet of salvation, I'm talking about understanding and thinking accurately in line with the salvation I have. Now that I'm saved, there is a new reality in my life. I'm a child of God. I belong to a new kingdom. I've come out of the darkness into the light. I was once a stranger and a slave. Now I'm a son and a joint heir with Christ. Uh, I have a new standing with God. Things have changed. There is a new reality to those that are truly born again, to those that have come to Jesus Christ and been redeemed by that precious blood. And so let's look now at one of the things the helmet of salvation can do for you and I. Look at 2 Timothy, the first chapter in verse 7. It's a familiar verse, but let's focus on how the New King James kind of words it to us here. For God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity, but of power and love and a sound mind. Understand, underline sound mind. You know, Timothy was a young preacher, and he was kind of wavering and stirring up his gift and ministering effectively and as he should. And Paul writes to him this little note. Now, one commentator talks about the sound mind, and he says this refers to a disciplined, self-controlled, properly prioritized mind. What is a sound mind? Well, one translation calls it simply sensible thinking, spiritual sensible thinking. The way the Greek is constructed here, it pretty much says you got a saved mind. You have a delivered mind. You have a redeemed mind. And it's Paul, he's saying, Timothy, it's as if he's saying, son, Timothy, why are you allowing fear to control your mind and your emotions? God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but of love and of power. And he's given you the mind of one that's been saved and delivered and redeemed. Think with the mind of the redeemed. See life through the lens of God's word. Respond to life like a son, not a slave. Like a victor and not a victim. It's as if he's saying, Timothy... You know better than this. Fix your mind on what the Word of God says. Believe what the Word of God says. For when you walk and talk and think in the knowledge of the great salvation you have, then you walk and talk like a saved man or a saved woman. You walk and talk with the mentality of a son and and not a slave. As one whose father owns it all and whose elder brother Jesus has defeated death, hell, and the grave... And giving you power to overcome and power to live this life and power to be transformed from faith to faith and glory to glory. Put on the helmet of salvation. Put on the sensible thinking of the word and the spirit of God. Reject old thought patterns of timidity and fear and doubt and unbelief. Instead believe I am who God says I am. I can do what God says I could do. If God said it I believe it and that's settles it can you say amen talking about retraining that mind the retraining of the mind when your mind is renewed with the word of god concerning the blessings and the responsibilities contained in this great salvation that you have you walk and you talk like a saved man walk and talk like one that knows 
greater is he that's within you than he that's in that world. Like one that knows no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Like one that knows I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength to face tomorrow, that gives me strength to rise up from today's difficulty, that gives me strength to take on the enemy and to live this life as more than a conqueror. Oh, it's a saved mind. And it's hard because this is a retraining thing and I'm not going to jump against myself. Some things happen immediately when you get saved. Other things is a progressive thing that demands our participation with God. That's why somebody wondered, how come they've been saved so long and they're still meaner than a junkyard dog? Well, that's a lack of sanctification. That's a lack of growing. Not a lack of getting saved. They got saved. They just never grew up in their salvation. Can you say amen? I mean, there's some people, that their, their arms and legs are like pencils. You know what I mean? They, they're born and they're, they're healthy human beings, but they never worked out. Then you get some other ones. I mean, they're bulging at them biceps. They're looking good. Hey, Amen. You can tell they didn't just walk with what they got. They participated to improve what they have and develop what God had given them. Come on, say amen with me. Yeah. Hallelujah. Helmet of salvation. I wouldn't want to go to battle without my helmet. Whew, shrapnel's flying. I put that helmet on, brother. You better put that devil throwing some darts. That's why one minute you're up top, the next minute you're down low. Why that helmet? I get that helmet on. Devil's playing with that mind. Oh, Lord, have mercy. When the mind is filled with the goodness and the truth of God, when the mind is drenched with the hope and assurance of everlasting and eternal life, you will walk and talk like a saved man or a saved woman. You see, Israel struggled with this in the beginning. They came out of Egypt, but really Egypt never really did get out of them. You remember that first generation? They never made it to the promised land, did they? They were redeemed. They saw the blood shed. They saw the deliverance of God. But there was a generation that though they came out of Egypt, Egypt never got out of them. They died in a wilderness. Had a hard time with that mentality. You know, the Bible does teach us we're in this world, but we're not of this world. I live in a world. You live in a world. There's pandemics in this world. There's ungodly perverts in this world. I mean, we live. There's violence in this world. We're in this world, but we're not of this world. We think different. We sing different. We act different. Why? We belong to Jesus now. I'm here, but I don't belong here. I'm going somewhere, and so are you. Some people come out, but they never shake the mentality they had in the old days. Daniel's a great example. You know that man of God? He grew up and lived in that wicked city, Babylon. All those years in Babylon. When a little boy, he wasn't born there, a little boy, he's there in Babylon. An ungodly place, a very humanistic place, anti-biblical place. But you know, all those years, you know his story. What an example. Daniel was in Babylon, but Babylon never got in Daniel. Whoo, Glory. He was surrounded by the heathen. He was surrounded by the backslidden believers. You know, everyone else, you don't have to backslide just because half the church backslides. Uh Uh-uh. You can stay on fire for God if you want to. See, Daniel, he was in Babylon, but Babylon never, never did get in Daniel. Oh, Lord, help us. This is why it is so important 
not only to guard your mind, that's part of it. The helmet will guard your mind, but this helmet also renews your mind because the helmet of salvation is thinking, perceiving, evaluating life. Me, God, you, everything through the lens of Scripture, through the lens of the Spirit of God, through the lens of the kingdom of God. And that's why it's important. I put on the helmet, it protects me, but that's not all. Don't just let it protect you. Let it renew you and let it retrain you. And let it help you to think differently and to think biblically and live and and it'll transform from the thinking to the behaving, from believing to behaving, from learning to living. If you would, Romans 12, Romans 12. It's important to guard your mind with the word of God and to train and retrain your thinking. Wear your helmet. Tell someone next to you, put on that helmet, put it on, put it on. Paul writes... I beseech you, brethren, by the mercy of God, that you present yourselves a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing unto God, which is your reasonable service. And then he writes in verse 2, And be not conformed to this world. Don't be pressed into the mold of this world. You're attacked, you're overwhelmed with the philosophy of the world with the thinking of the world, and that word conform, like you would make cookies and you have a mold and you press them. Don't be pressed into the mold of thinking of the world. From the outside, the world tries to bombard you with their their thinking that is humanistic and ungodly and anti-Bible. But instead, be transformed. Instead, be transformed. See, he's writing to Christians, yet he's saying you can still be transformed. We're saved, but we're being saved. We've been born again, but we've got to grow up in this thing. Amen? So he's writing to Christians. He's saying, now listen, but be transformed. How am I transformed? The word transformed, very interesting word. Everybody went to science class in junior high, and we learned about the metamorphosis. Amen? The caterpillar becomes the butterfly. Everybody remember that? The tadpole becomes that bullfrog. Amen? And, and, and what happened? There was a metamorphosis that took place. From the inside produced a change on the outside. Not the other way. The world pressing. The legalist was pressing. The true New Testament believer from the inward. That's why first you got to get saved. But then once you're saved, he's writing to save people. He says, now listen, be transformed from the inside. Let a transformation take place that affects your outside. Be trans- How is this transformation primarily taking place? Here it is. By what? The renewing of your mind. By measuring your skirt. Someone say no. There you go. Get with me. Bye, bye, bye. Um, not watching any TV, which would be good for us not to watch a lot of that junk. But anyway, but, but, but how? By the renewing of your mind. Now, this is where you and I have a lot to do with how far we grow and how much we mature as Christians. A lot of the Christian experience God has put in your court. He gave you my spirit. Gave you my word. What are you going to do with it? If you choose to feed on the word, to embrace the word, to give yourself to that, that word will create a metamorphosis in your life. Paul says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. By the renewing of your thinking. By allowing the word of God to be able to retrain your thinking. And how I act and how I perceive, and how I respond to life. The process of transformation, growing strong and and maturing, depends much on the renewing of our mind. 
seeing life in ourselves, seeing God through the lens of His Word. Now, when Paul says, give your body, that's a one-time act. When he says, give the mind, he's speaking of a, something that is progressive, and it's a transformation that comes from the renewing and retraining of your thinking from the Word of God. Now, it's important that I allow God to transform me. I get saved and I'm washed and I'm forgiven, but yet God wants me to grow and mature in the likeness of His Son. God wants me to walk and talk and think in the Spirit. It means changing some behaviors. It also means overcoming some weaknesses. It means developing some things and dying to some other things. And the Word of God will help me to do that. But friends, this Word is powerful and this Word is effective. This word is life transforming. You know, in the natural, it's good. Positive thinking is good in the natural. We know that from sports, from business, from the military. That's good. But you know what? That's a limited thing. When we're talking about the word of God, this is more than just a good positive manual. This is the living, breathing word of God. And when you take this into your heart and your mind, when you hide it in your heart, when you speak it with your mouth, when you allow it to wash and renew your mind, it releases the divine power of God to work in you and transform you. This is what will help you overcome things that trip you up. This is what will help you move into areas you never dreamed you could do. There's power in the Word, but we must feed on the Word, and we must love the Word, and we must hide it in our hearts, and we must commit ourselves to live the Word and obey the Word and respond in accordance with the word. Can you say amen? It's important that we allow ourselves to be changed. That we allow ourselves. I read the other day, someone said, some minds, some minds are like concrete. They're all mixed up and permanently set. Those people don't grow, do they? Those people are still stuck on something they heard. But the word of God will transform us, won't it? The Word of God will change our thinking. The Word of God will renew, retrain our minds. Oh, yes, it will. We have to allow the Word to change us. And we must be willing to grow and be transformed by that Word. Now, our text says, take the helmet of salvation. Take the helmet of salvation. Paul wrote earlier, put on, put on. There's something I do. God gives me the equipment. God gives me the power to live this life victoriously, but I've got to put it on and I've got to use it. Amen? So Paul says, put on the whole armor of God. He says here, take the helmet of salvation. God will not force us to renew our minds. God will not force us. We have our part to play. See, there's effort demanded if I'm really going to overcome certain weak areas, if I'm really going to develop some undeveloped areas. If I'm really going to grow and mature to become the one God's called me to be, there's something on my end. I have to participate and partner with the Holy Spirit as he works through me and in me to do this work of God. An author wrote, many years ago I was visiting Germany and I was able to visit um, a, a drug rehab center. And they had a magnificent tapestry on the wall of the home where, where, the, where the men were recovering. And it was a picture of a stream of fish heading one way. But then the other way, there was just one solitary fish swimming in the opposite direction. And underneath were the words, any dead fish can float downstream. It takes a live one to swim against it. You know, it takes effort to overcome. It takes determination to grow. It takes a real sincerity 
to be able to say, you know what, this area of my life is not where it should be. This area of my life, I, I've toyed with it. You know, when you lived in the world, we, we made excuses for bad habits. We made excuses for weaknesses. We, we just justified them so we could live. And sometimes it's hard for people really to allow the Word of God to deal with certain areas. Because it means, number one, I've got to confess, you know what, that area is not where it needs to be. And then if I'll do that, I can go to the Word of God and I can get a specific promise for that and I can get a specific word for that and I can begin to work on that and overcome that. But many times people don't want to take the effort that it takes to really overcome. It's a lot easier to come down and pray for me and bop me on the head and maybe it goes away. But how many you know that's usually not how things work? Amen? I've got to realize, you know what, I'm impatient. I've got to realize, you know, sometimes I, I, I get fearful. I've got to realize I, I have a lousy attitude and I tend to get angry. I have to realize those things so I can say, Lord, those are still things of the old nature that need to be overcome and defeated. And I have to retrain myself to think properly and biblically in those areas when those situations come. And then I can get a word that addresses that particular weakness and area of struggle. Isn't that right? You know, there's those, what are they out there? Those personal trainers, amen? I was in such bad shape, they needed a whole team. No, I mean, there's a personal trainer out there, but when you go to a personal trainer, they try to give you specific exercise to deal with specific needs. Isn't that right? I mean, if you got to lose it here, they're not going to have you doing, you know, they, they got specific ways to attack it. Well, you know, the greatest personal trainer there is is the Holy Ghost. You want the best personal trainer? The Holy Ghost. And he'll use that word. And if you say, Lord, I, I got a problem with X, Y, Z, I'm confessing it to you, Lord. It, it hinders me at work. It hinders my advance in my career. It brings friction in the home. It's hindering me from ministry. If I can be honest enough to realize that area needs maybe to dive in, I need to be retrained in that area. Give me a specific word. Give me a word that can address that so I can overcome that. You know, sometimes God wants to deal with a specific area and we want to quote something else. Amen? For you people in the weights, you know, you got a be- I got a belly out here. It's like, I just want to do benches. The guy says, listen, benches aren't going to help you, preacher. You need to do some crunches. Amen? If you know what I'm talking about with all this lingo here. But it's the same thing. It's easy. I, I want to talk about this. No, 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 no. I want to deal with this. The renewing of the mind. The renewing of the mind. Put on the helmet. And study what the Bible says about the great salvation you have and how the Lord Jesus wants you to live and wants you to believe and wants you to act. It's learning what this great salvation includes and requires. Learning the promises and the descriptions and the privileges that you have now that all is well between you and the Almighty. It's then watching how your learning expresses itself in living and your believing expresses itself in behaving. In a very practical way, it's studying the Bible, reading your Bible. Do a devotion. Even if you can't start out doing a lot, do something consistently and allow the Word of God to work. You've got great devotionals back there. Read the Scripture. Hide it in your heart. Think about it through the day. Practice it. It's learning. Not just reading the scripture, then it's learning to ask yourself the simple question. Whatever the emotion comes up, whatever the situation is, ask yourself, how is a Christian supposed to respond to this? What does the Bible teach me about this? And then addressing it so I can overcome it. It's not being afraid to address 
areas of struggle in your own life. I'm not to worry about you. I've got to worry about me and vice versa. But if I'm going to grow in God, it's going to take that commitment. The present reality of putting on the helmet. We're talking about thinking and reasoning and acting like a saved man or woman. Like someone that's been redeemed and washed in the blood. Like someone that's been rescued out of darkness and brought into God's marvelous light. It's allowing the word of God to transform me from the inside out. And also allowing me to enjoy a fuller, deeper, richer relationship and walk with my God. One great example of the blessing that comes from that renewed mind goes back in Psalm 1. I know many of you know it. Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly or stands in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of the scornful. Blessed is the man that's not being bombarded and taking in everything the world says and believing every lie that, that comes out of wherever it comes out of. Amen? Blessed that walks not in the counsel, but his delight. But they find great delight in the word of God. And in this word, they do meditate day and night. They're renewing the mind. The blessed man has a renewed mind. The blessed man is not taking their reasoning and their wisdom and their value system and priorities from all the things the world is saying even if the world has PhDs behind its name if it doesn't agree with this book it's folly and it's foolish but the wise man the blessed man from Psalm 1 he delights in the word of God day and night and God says such a person God describes such a man or woman that delights in that word and shuns the wisdom of the world as a tree like a strong tree sturdy, rooted tree planted by streams of water. Man, when you renew your mind and you feed on that word, you have an inexhaustible source of refreshing and reviving and strength. Regardless of how hot the sun gets out there, when you're planted by the streams of the word of God, you'll always have strength to face the battle. You'll always have the grace to overcome the challenge. Oh, the Bible, hallelujah, the Bible describes the renewed mind as a man or a woman like a tree planted you're planted by rivers of living water your leaf doesn't wither no more burnout burnout should not be in the vocabulary of a child of God no such thing as burnout for the believer how can you burn out when your roots are wrapped around the rock of ages how can you burn out when you're drinking from a water and a river that never runs dry oh he's planted by streams of living water. His leaf doesn't wither. He bears fruit. He bears fruit. A fruitful life. A productive life. He bears fruit in season. And whatever they do, it prospers. They are blessed of God because they meditate on the Word of God and they walk in the will of God and they live by the strength of God. Somebody say amen. Oh my Lord. I want you to know it's worth it developing the habit of reading and studying the Word of God. That's God's Word. I literally have a thousand books. I mean, I've I've left, every time I move, I leave two, three hundred books somewhere. Can't, after a while, it gets heavy carrying all these books. Go through them. I I I got books, I mean, I got mostly on the religious side of things, but I got a lot of leadership and coaching. I got 30, 40 books on it. I love it. I always did. So there's some positive things to learn. You know, 
But there's nothing more important than developing the discipline and habit of reading your Bible. Of taking that Bible as God's love letter to you, now that you're a believer. Like a father speaking to his child, how you get encouraged, how you get strength, how you get direction. Oh, folks. And as you take it in you, your thinking starts to change. And if you're, if you're honest, you see, God works with us, but so much is determined by my honesty in working with God. And you'll begin to go through things, and you'll know that's not the way a child of God should go through them. And the Spirit will speak to you, and you'll go to the Word of God, and you'll be encouraged. You'll say, no, this is how I should act. But man, if you renew that mind, there'll be transformation in your life. And listen, it's a never-ending thing. It's a progressive thing. When you get saved, you get saved once and for all. But the growth never ends. The growth never ceases. And the growth is so much determined on how we respond to God's offer of his word and of his spirit and of his presence. Oh, glory be to God forevermore. Now that I'm saved, there's a new reality. Can you say amen? I'm not the man I used to be. Glory be to God. That's gone. Behold, all things are new. And I've been given a great salvation. I want to enjoy it. I want to employ it. And I want to explore it. And I want to know what I have now that Jesus has come into my life. (coughs) The helmet of salvation. We've covered the importance. The helmet of salvation. We've covered the present reality. Learning now what? That I'm a believer. Now this last part. I think it's the most precious part of the message. We're going to talk about the future hope that the helmet of salvation brings to us. The helmet of salvation, proper thinking that protects me and elevates and develops me presently. But there's more. There's much more. The hope that salvation brings greatly affects our lives in the here and now. The helmet of salvation and the renewed mind. Look, if you would, at 1 Thessalonians 5 and 8. 1 Thessalonians 5 and 8. But since we belong to the day, let us be self-controlled, putting on faith and love as a breastplate. And here it is. And the hope of salvation as a helmet. Here Paul's telling us a little bit about this helmet of salvation. He wants to emphasize the hope of our salvation. The future confidence we have in this salvation. When the mind is filled, when the mind is renewed, when the mind puts on the helmet of salvation, with it there is the hope that salvation brings. Now, in the Bible, and this is important, this is important to know, in Christian talk, hope is not wishful thinking. In in our Christian dictionary, hope is not just wishful thinking. Hope is a confident expectation. It's a future certainty that produces a present conduct and a present perseverance and a present perspective in my life. We have a biblical outlook on life. I'm putting on the helmet of salvation. It's giving me hope. It's reminding me the best is yet to come. It's reminding me that one day I will see him. It's reminding me in this world it's not my home I'm passing through and it will be worth it all when I see Jesus. And that salvation, it reminds me of that. 
And that gives me a grace and a strength in a present world that's not always easy and has its difficulties. For the believer that puts on the helmet of salvation, we have a biblical outlook on life. It's a calm outlook. It's a sane outlook. We're not complacent. We're not out of touch. But neither are we frustrated and fearful and overwhelmed by life. We do live in a real world, but we know we're just passing through this world. We don't give up when things get tough, for we know our future is secure in the hands of our God. This is the helmet of salvation, the hope that our salvation brings, the hope that salvation puts in our heart. It makes us a different people. It causes us to sing a different song and to walk a different path and to declare a different declaration. One aspect of our salvation is the future tense, the future tense. This aspect we call glorification. It's it's the very end of it all that we're waiting to get to. Brother Floyd is enjoying us. We enjoy our service. He's enjoying a real service, brother. I like being in on his service. I don't know about you. But it's looking forward. The hope of salvation. Paul says the helmet, the hope of salvation. When you put on the helmet of salvation, one of the most important things it does, yes, it helps us in the now to mature, to be sanctified, to grow, but it keeps me thinking of the reality that awaits, of the certainty that awaits. And because I know that, it affects me in the here and now. This is looking forward to the time when we shall see Jesus face to face. When the battles and the bruises and the heartaches and the hardships will be a thing of the past. Oh Lord, let it be. It's in this final aspect of salvation that is the real strength of the believer's helmet. The hope of salvation keeps us going. The great hope of ultimate victory and the final salvation gives us confidence and assurance that our present struggles will not last forever. Somebody, it won't always be like this. A better day is coming. It won't always be like this. We're going to a better place. Oh, blessed be His name. It's this hope that keeps you and I striving and battling and continuing to live faithful in the now. We get back up when we've been knocked down. We wipe away the tears when life breaks our hearts. We refuse to quit and we refuse to let go of our love and our devotion to Jesus Christ. Salvation's hope energizes our lives because we really do expect to see Jesus. We really do believe that we're headed to a very real place that's called heaven. And because of the hope of salvation. Now John said, because we have a hope that we're going to see him face to face, it affects how we live in the here and now. We want to get ready for that. We're going to prepare ourselves for that. We have this unshakable confidence concerning the future and it greatly affects us in the now. Again, there's a reason we sing like we sing and believe like we believe and live like we live. The helmet of salvation fills us with the believer's hope. The world doesn't have this hope, but this is something the believer has in Jesus Christ. Living in the reality of Christ's return, it makes a difference in our behavior in the present realm. This hope motivates our living. It motivates our lifestyle. It motivates our sacrifice and it motivates our service. Again, John said in 1 John 3, because we expect to see him face to face, we have that hope of seeing him face to face. We purify ourselves in the now. 
we live, our lifestyle is different in the now, but we have a certainty we will see the Lord. Not only does this hope motivate our living in the now, this hope secures, secures us to heaven and strengthens us with the very dynamic of God until the very end. The hope of our salvation. Paul writes in Hebrews and refers to it as like an anchor to the soul. Look at Hebrews 6 and 19. This is another thought. Hope, my helmet, speaks of the future that awaits. And that keeps me striving. And that keeps me battling. That gives me strength not to give up. That gives me the endurance that even when life seems to shatter me, I rise up as I know it won't always be like this. And Jesus said he'll complete the work he began. And there's coming a day. But while we wait, the Bible says in Hebrews 6 and 19, we have this hope. Christian hope, don't lose your hope. Oh my. We have this hope now. Paul said before as a helmet, Now he says, as an anchor to the soul. Firm and secure. Oh, glory. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain. Oh, glory to God. Where where Jesus is. Oh, hallelujah. We're connected to the Lord with this hope. Who went before us. He's entered on our behalf. He has become our high priest. Let's think about this for a moment. The Bible says our hope in Christ is like an anchor for the soul. I want someone to know this anchor holds. Life can crush you, but this anchor will hold you. Disease can try to ravage you, but this anchor will hold you. Men might walk out on you and it might seem like you're left alone, but this anchor will hold you through the torments and the turmoils and the tribulations of this life. This anchor holds. It holds you and I secure, not to this world, but to the very heavens above. It connects us and keeps us secure in the one that we love and in the one we're going to look and see face to face on that glorious day. Our hope in Christ is like an anchor to the soul. Think about it. Like an anchor holds a ship safely. Our hope in Christ does the same. Hope, not wishful thinking, but a confident expectation. I'm going to see Jesus one day. I plan on seeing him face to face. I want to be ready when I see him. I don't want to be ashamed when I see him. Isn't that right? When I see Jesus, he's done so much for me, folks. The Lord's been so good to me. When I see him, I want to see him. I want to hear, well done. And when life throws a curveball, that hope lifts me back up. That hope takes away any thought of quitting. That hope throws aside any thought of giving in. Because I know that I know that I know there's a better place and a better day coming. And that hope in Jesus, that hope of your salvation, Paul says, it acts like an anchor to the soul. Oh my, what a thought, what a thought. It keeps us secure and steady during the times of turmoil and trouble and turbulence. A certainty and a confidence concerning the future keeps us going steady in the now. We think differently because we are a different child of God. And this hope like an anchor. You know, in the natural, an anchor goes down into the depths of the sea. But this one is anchored above into the very heavens where Jesus went. Oh, glory. You're held by heaven, child of God. Tell someone you are held by heaven. 
Oh, the storms might try to uproot you. You are held by heaven. This anchor holds. It holds. This anchor holds us. But I'll tell you, this anchor doesn't just keep us standing still like a natural anchor does. This anchor pulls us onward and draws us forward, bringing us into the very presence of God. Oh, my goodness. This anchor reminds us of the one that began that work. He says, I'm going to finish that work. And that work's not done until we see the Lord and are changed into his image and hear those wonderful words, well done, thy good and thy faithful servant. Hallelujah. Put on the helmet of God. Church, if you're going to wage war successfully, put on the helmet of God. Put on the hope of salvation. Prepare your mind for action that you might live this life as more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. And God's people say amen. Amen. We have our final prayer and our final song. If you're here today and you have not received Christ and given your life to Jesus Christ, that's the first thing. Forget about putting on salvation. You've got to receive salvation. You need to come to Christ. He died for you. He loves you. He's willing to forgive you. He's willing to receive you. It doesn't matter what you've done, how many times you've tried or failed, how terrible you've lived. If you'll sincerely come and give your life to Christ and put your faith in what He's done for you on the cross, He'll receive you. He'll forgive you. He'll make you a child of God. But now for most of us that are here, let's remember one of the most important ingredients to a maturing and overcoming Christianity is going to be the renewing of our mind. Learning what the Bible says and applying it to our lives. Learning to allow the Word of God to work in us and to heal us. To overcome some areas of weaknesses. To strengthen some areas that need to be developed. Learning, applying, and changing. Being transformed. That's how God does it. Putting on this helmet. Now, if you're here today and, and, and you know you're not really giving proper time and effort to reading and studying, memorizing scriptures from the Bible, it's time. Start today. Start today. Even if it's just a short time, just do it consistently. But start today. Learn the Word and live the Word. As a Christian, learn to ask yourself simply, what does the Bible say about this? I have a decision to make. I have, I'm going to respond to something. Well, how does the Bible say I should do this? And you learn to think Bible. You, you learn to think Thus saith the Lord. There's devotionals in the back. Take one if you don't have one. Let it speak to you. And if you, hey, if you're already doing devotions and you read your Bible consistently, okay, step number two, have you memorized some scriptures? I would encourage you. I, I, I make columns. Back when I was a teenager, I made columns under different headings. Whether it's my finances or it's faith or it's overcoming sin or it's overcoming fear, whatever it is. And I made columns put certain verses under it so that when that problem came up, my mind could go to two, three, four verses under the one heading. You know, when I went, it was a financial problem. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. My God shall supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. And and you're kind of training yourself to think accurately, amen? Because when I got to do crunches, bench presses aren't going to do the deal, amen? So I want to, so so listen, if you already saw this as pastor, I I do pretty, I do my devotions. Awesome. That's, that, that, you got to start there. But I'll ask you, have you memorized some scriptures? You know, when I was a youngster, and I know I'm getting off the notes, and I was doing so good with time, but would you give me a minute? When I, when I was a youngster, 
You might not believe this, but my temper is one of the things that, I mean, there wasn't a dashboard that I didn't come down on once or twice. I mean, I just, and so, you know, one of the, I'm talking 17, 18 years old. And so one of the verses in James, man's wisdom does not, man's anger does not bring about the righteous life God desires. As a teenager, God put that in my heart. I had to write it in. I say, write in, write in your name. Not just the good ones, right? And Joe's anger does not bring about the righteous life God desires. And how many times? This and I was ready to. <sighs> so you got to get it in there so the Spirit can bring it to your remembrance. The Holy Spirit will help you remember, but you got to put it in there. And you start memorizing. I said, I memorized that verse. Help me to overcome that. When instead of releasing that anger and giving into it, I remember the scripture. Joe's anger does not bring about the right. Lord, you're not pleased with this. Lord, just um, help me to think whatever the case might be. Help me to handle this properly. And to help me overcome that thing and break that thing. So again, if you're already doing pretty good with your devotionals, take the next step and begin to memorize specific scriptures. Remember, I certainly memorize the salvation verses so when God gives you an opportunity to witness to someone, you can share the Bible and you can tell them John 3, 16, amen? You can tell them John 1, 12. You can go right there through the Romans road. That's important, amen, to know what, what, how salvation is. But then learn these things. Are you a nervous person? There's so many scriptures about being courageous that you can feed your faith and encourage yourself and renew your mind with. And the next time it comes to be afraid, you can remind yourself of that and stand on that word. I mean, you get anger, and again, whatever the case might be, I'm going to get back to the pulpit, but I want, no point shouting if I can't make it practical. See what I mean? But this word of God, remember, this is God's word, and there's power in God's word. And the helmet of salvation, I'm going to think according to the word of God. I'm going to perceive and evaluate and reason according to the word of God. I'm going to respond, it is written, according to the word of God. And that same word I take in works in me. It begins to bring healing in me. It begins to mend areas that might be broken in me. Oh, the word of God is powerful. Hell will do all it can to keep you from enjoying consistently the word of the living God. Amen? All right, we're going to bow our hearts now. If you need prayer, if you would want to just come and pray, or if you just want someone to lay hands on you and believe God to heal you or to touch you, feel free. Let's bow our hearts as we pray. Father.